0: God tested faith. (laughs) Uh, As a believer, we don't want to hear the fact that we have to go through trials. (laughs) Uh, Trials do come, tests do come in our our life. And they come more often than we really, really would like it to come. Um, But we're going to find through our story today, that is how God works in our life. To reveal what our faith looks like at that moment the test comes. See, for the Christian believer, uh, our, our life is like a text. And I think the key text for you and I as a believer, a Christian believer, is Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.4, where it says, the just shall live by his faith. The just Shall live by his faith. That's our text. But the commentary that explains that text is the day-to-day interactions of what we have to live through and by its are what we call sometimes our testimony, but it's it is the written and it's the, the obedience to God in the direction that he takes us on a day. By day or a moment by moment of time. So when someone says are you a saved a Christian believer. So many people today will say yes I'm a Christian. But when you see their commentary. You see their life played out through these tests that come in their life. You really can see where they stand in their faith and their trust in God. And we're going to see that play out here in our scripture today. Here in Genesis 22, we are going to see one of the greatest tests, especially here in the life of Abraham, has ever faced. A God-tested faith that would bring any person to their knees. That teaches the lessons of obedient faith. Obedient faith that overcomes whatever that trial in your life that you find yourself. Now we see here, when we start here in verse 1 of chapter 22 of Genesis, that it came to pass after these things. Now if you remember, if you've been with us in chapter 21 and the previous chapters, there have been tests going on in this man's life and his wife's life, Sarah, and his family. If you remember, there's been a few of tests, but we don't know how much time has taken Between chapter 21 to chapter 22, it just says, came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. So there's there's this this sense of understanding as you look at time that came and passed. And so we don't know, and we will see in the scripture, that Isaac, his son, is now much older. It doesn't clear to us how much older Many believe at this point Isaac is about 30, 33 years of age. Some believe it was younger than that. It doesn't matter to me when that is in fact that he's much older he's a lad he's in, in his t- at least teens if not early 20s. it could be 30 but his time has passed since the last time God was spoke and showed up in Abraham back in 20, chapter 21. We don't know in the scripture if how much Godhead was speaking to him or not. All we know is here we are in chapter 22 and, and God speaks to Abraham. And all he, all he says to him is Abraham. He just called his name and immediately Abraham knew his voice. He says, here I am. When you hear the term, and we'll see that a couple more times, here I am. It means you have my complete attention. It's like you calling out to your child in the house, and you yell his name out, or you yell out her name, and you don't hear anything. And you yell out the name again to your husband, and he doesn't say anything. Wouldn't it be wonderful, ladies, if all of a sudden you hear from your husband, Here I am, completely focused on what what his wife is about to say, or even your children. Here I am. Dad, here I am. Mom, here I am. They make their their presence, I am listening to everything you're about to say to me. I heard my name called. See, Abraham knew God's name, God's uh, voice. He heard his voice. He understood his voice. He was very close. How do you get that closest? How do you know when you hear your name called by God that you know it's him and you say, yes, God, I hear you. I know you just spoke to me. Well, think about it. He'd been tested. Remember, God doesn't tempt. God tests, not tempt. We see that in James 1, chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So we know that God is not tempting here, Abraham. He's testing Abraham. How does he know he's testing him? Well, he's been through a few tests. If you remember, he went through the family test, and he failed that test. Remember that. God said, you're going to leave the area here, the Ur of Chaldees, you're moving on. Just you and your, your family, you're going. And guess what happened? It was a partial obedience. A lot started going, and dad started coming. They weren't supposed to be going at all. It was just supposed to be him and his his wife and kids. But after he... He kind of failed the family test. He got tested again with the famine test, if you remember that one. Famine came along, and he took upon themselves. They said, hey, we got to do something about this. And they went to Egypt, and they should have never gone to Egypt. And they failed that test. And then he had the fellowship test. you remember that with Lot. But he passed that test. He passed that test because he seeked after God and he realized he knew Lot had to go. God said, he's got to go. And he said, okay, Lot, you've got to go. But he says, I'm going to trust God. So, Lot, you pick. Which way do you want to go? And, of course, you know the story. Lot decided to go towards Sodom because it was so pretty. (laughs) So So beautiful. Be careful of the temptation that Lot was presented and he took it. The, the promise of the beautiful land. Good weather, no snow. There's water. <laughs> oh, how tempting that can be sometimes. But, God, but Abraham was tested and he passed that test because he, he waited for God to, to take him where he, God wanted him to be. And if you remember, after that, he came to the fight test. He had to go to war. He had to go save Lot's skin and all the people from Sodom in the area. Remember, the four kings came down and took them in, in captivity. And Abraham had to take his own people, and go up there and, and rescue them and bring them back safely. And all their possessions and all the people. And he passed that one. God, was, he, God brought him through that one. But then came immediately another temptation or a temptation from the enemy through Sodom, the king of Sodom, and said, Hey, you should get all this stuff here. You should get all the wealth. Here. You're the one that war. You should get it. And Abraham passed this test by saying, No, 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 no. I'm not touching any of that stuff. I don't touch the people. I don't touch the money. I'm not going to touch anything because I want no one to get credit for what God has done in my life. None. God gets all the glory and honor in my life. No man, no woman's going to get any credit for making me a blessed man. But then, he had the fatherhood test. <clears throat> he failed this one big time. The fatherhood test is when they were impatient for a child, and they leaned on their own understanding, their feelings, and and uh, Abraham uh, gave up his leadership role, and he listened to his wife in this situation, and they both agreed, yeah, I think I could um, have a relationship with Hagar to get that child, to make sure we get a child, and look what happened. And we still face those consequences of that sin still today in our world. He failed the fatherhood test. And then finally, he went to the farewell test. He passed this test when God said to him, Ishmael and the woman Hagar has got to go. Got to send her on her own, got to send her away. And he did that immediately. He didn't. He, he, he struggled with it, but he did pass the test. And on his way. But today we see the biggest test ever, not to prove that he has faith in God, but to reveal, to test, to reveal the faith that was in Abraham at that time. And he uses tests moment by moment, piece by piece, year by year, situation by year, situation, to bring about this great man of faith, Abraham. And we're going to see that he passed this test, the biggest test ever, that he really did trust God, not in just words, but also in action. And so we see here in verse two, then he, God said to Abraham, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So the greatest test in the life of Abraham is now presented. God says to him, to Abraham, you're going to take your son, your only son. Now notice that. He says it's your only son. Well, wait a minute. He had Ishmael. What do you mean he's the only son? Well, remember, God only recognizes the God of promise or the God of the, of the child that was came from the promise. It was of the spirit. He does not recognize the son that came from the flesh. He doesn't recognize sin. He's only recognizing what God has asked and did and what they fulfilled. So he only recognizes he only has the son Isaac and not Ishmael. And obviously Abraham recognizes that too because he doesn't rebuttal this issue. But notice here in verse 2 the word love. Love is the very first time we see in the scripture this word is used. A love between the father and his son. That is the first love mentioned. In the scriptures, and we see here it's a bond that is going to play out with our heavenly Father and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And throughout the chapter here, we're going to see the parallel. We're going to see the comparisons. We're going to see that God in this chapter is revealing His plan of salvation through the Messiah. Between that relationship between He, the Father, Abraham, and Isaac, the Son. Just like the Heavenly Father and His Heavenly Son, uh, Jesus Christ. We see this here in love. A love between the Father and the Son. And that God is going to test Abraham in this relationship. And He says to him, you're going to go and you're going to leave this place. You're going to go to the land of Moriah. So remember, they're in Beersheba Beth, Beth, right now. And they're going to travel 50 miles north to what we refer to today as Jerusalem or the land of Moriah or the Mount of Moriah. And you're going to see how this plays out. And you're going to go there and you're not going on vacation. You're not going to hang out up there on the mountaintop little resort and have a hangout and just between father, son, bonding time. You're going to take your only begotten son and you're going to go to the mountain here, the land of Moriah, and you're going to offer him... As a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. That is a test that God would tell you as a father. As you as a parent, you're going to offer your only child to God as a sacrifice. As a burnt offering, completeness. Burnt offering was, was you sacrificed the animal, but then you had a burnt offering, which was a complete consumption. It wasn't a, I'm only going to give this part of my child to you. I, you, I'll, I, I dedicate my child to you this day. It's only a few months old, a few weeks old, a few years old. But then all of a sudden, the child becomes a teenager. The child becomes a young adult. And for some reason, the parent forgets the fact that they dedicated their child to God. Now you're, as a parent, you're trying to control your children. You're telling them what they can or cannot do versus seeking God and seeing what God wants to do in their life. Dad, I want to become this. No, you can't. You must go to college. College. I don't want to go to college. God God is really guiding me over here. No, no, you have to go over and do this first before that. And you, as a parent, we can sometimes, and many times, and a lot of times, control versus seeking after what God is calling that child to do. Because God has a calling on that child. Our job as a parent is just to seek after him to find out what God has called that child to do. And then we just train them up and encourage them in what God has called them to do. Here Abraham, his only son, son that they've waited a hundred years. He waited a hundred years to have this child. Sarah waited 90 years and it was a miraculous birth. They were both dead. They shouldn't have had to been able to have children. And God said, watch this. And it became about a miracle. And they will be able to have a child as God promised them. Now we see many years later, and now God is saying, you gave me a promise that you're going to give me this, this son Isaac. I named him after him, exactly the name you told me to, Laughter, because it's just, it's funny, it's laughing how God miraculously did this. And now, this is the promise, this is the Messiah was going to come through this child, this lineage, this is going to be more than the stars and more than the sand, and you, it's going to be a, this huge generation upon generation going to come through this child, and now you give me another promise, or you tell me something else to do that goes completely against that promise? That takes faith, does it not? How God gives you a promise, and then the circumstances of life completely doesn't even line up with fulfilling that promise. And then God says, no, you're still going to go do that. Well, that doesn't line up with what you told. But remember, if you think you know God's promises and how they're going to be fulfilled, and that you're sitting there with your own logic going, okay, he's promised me this, and this he wants me to do, but that doesn't line up. And I need to know how that's all going to be You're acting like you are God. You are acting like you're God. And you're not. Do you trust God by faith or by sight? Well, we're going to see how Abraham did. Because God said to him, You're going to take your son, and you are going to go, and you're going to offer him as a burnt offering on one of these mountains. Again, God didn't give him all the details. It's a step-by-step faith. God gives you a step, then you take that step, and he fulfills that, and then he gives you the next step. Then you take that next step of faith, and then he gives you the next step, and it's one step in front of the other. And soon you'll be walking right up to heaven. But soon, you had to run. It's a step-by-step method. It's not a complete plans, and you just get to play out the plans however you want to do the plans. It's a step-by-step method of faith. But God gave him enough to understand what he was about to do. And now the question is, how is he going to respond? How is he going to respond to this? What mountain? The land of Moriah, the Mount Moriah. How is that all going to be played out? We're going to see this continue here in verse 3. It says, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So we see Abraham's response to God's request. We see immediate obedience early in the morning. So you obviously, he was not sleeping all night long. He's sitting there going, God, you're revealing something at at nighttime here. And then early in the morning, he had immediate obedience and he set out to prepare and to do what God had called him to do. He knew he needed a donkey to help for the travel. He, got, he saddled his own donkey. He, took, he t- took two of his young men with him to go for this journey, His Isaac, his son. But notice that he, Abraham split the wood of the burnt offering. Remember, he was a wealthy man. He had all kinds of servants around him. But God said, Abraham, you are going to do this. So he got the donkey ready, not his servants. He got the wood uh, that was going to be burned for the sacrifice. Not some of his servants. He was leading and putting it together. He was the leader that God had told him to be. And he was being faithful to do it. Because God called him to do it. Immediate obedience. You want to know if you have a deep faith, a deep trust in your your God? Then you will have immediate obedience when God speaks to you. And you will do the actions that line up with that faith. It won't be just talk. You will actually do. And he did. Because Abraham trusted God. Even when he did not understand what was happening. He didn't understand what was happening. So many times when we God tells you to do something, and you say, "I'm not doing nothing, and I'm not going to do that until I fully understand it, until it lines up the way I would like to see it all play out." I'm not doing anything. Then, then it reveals your faith. You have very little faith. Abraham didn't debate or seek counsel with others. God spoke there, wake up in the morning, what am I going to do? Let me go call my sisters, call my brothers, I'm going to have them all be praying for me before I, and let counsel tell me, what do you think? You think I don't? I I, I agree with you, I shouldn't either. Oh, you think I should? Oh, I should. And then you wonder why emotionally you're all up in uh, upheaval, because you've gotten all the opinions of others. When God clearly said by his word, this is what you're to do. Why are you getting the opinions of others? If that's what we do, then our faith is very little. Abraham trusted God. Even when he didn't even feel like it. I assure you, as a father, and it's your only son, and you've just been told, you're, that son's going to die? That, those feelings inside must have been incredibly crazy. That you're just told, you were just told your son is going to die. But Abraham didn't respond to those feelings. He trusted God by faith. God said this son was going to bring about a generation and and the Messiah through the lineage. That I believe, that I trust, because that's what God said. I don't understand this. I don't I'm not getting counsel from anybody else. I don't feel like this is I'm going to walk by faith and not by feelings. And that's what we should do. We should be walking by faith and not by feelings. See, God had been training Abraham up to the place of this great trust that God was going to test him with. God has been using everything. Every Body and his life and situations and circumstances to bring him to this point of the greatest test that God would bring him. Any immediate obedience. Now if you noticed if God is bringing you in your memory of this of Jesus Christ you can see the same thing played out can you not? Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of this picture. They would travel to the same mountain, Mount Moriah. Golgotha. The skull. That's Aramaic. For Moriah is Golgotha. Calvary is the Latin word. Same mountain. Chronicles 3:1, we see that's the same place that Solomon builds the temple on Mount Moriah place of worship the place where Jesus would go up that same mountain and would die on the cross for the sin of the world Isaac is the precursor picture of that father son relationship and the son was going to the top of Mount Moriah to be sacrificed We see it played out. But we see the story continue here. We see then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. Great verses. Three days travel. They are now, after three days, they see the place of destination that God had shown him. Remember, at first God didn't reveal all the details. And it wasn't until... Abraham started taking that step getting the donkey ready getting cutting the wood and getting everything in order and making sure everything's in place and while he is taking those steps while he is working and doing what God is doing God speaks into his head exactly where he's going at the land of Moriah. He's going to the Mount Moriah, and this is where he's going to go. And now we see him There him arriving there, the four of them arriving there, and he sees the place, the peak of Mount Moriah. There are different mountains. There are hills, we would call them. They're not mountains, but hills that we see there from a distance. And there they are, that point. He sees it far off on the third day. When did Isaac die in this journey? In the life of Abraham I should say. When did Isaac die in the eyes of the father? When God said he was going to be offered and sacrificed as a burnt offering. And for three days the father knew that his son was going to die. Now, how God was going to fulfill his promise, he didn't know. But for three days, that must have been a very quiet, potentially very quiet ride with his son. What was the son saying to dad? Because in the story, you see the faith in his son was revealed too, wasn't it? Isaac went. Isaac was on this trip too, you know. All he knows is dad said, "Get in the, we're gonna go." Here's the donkey. Here's the two young men, and here's the stuff for we're going. And we see here at the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. But notice that Abraham said, "Okay, to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I are going to go yonder and what? Worship. We're gonna go worship God up there." This is the first place we see the word worship in the scripture. And worship meant sacrifice, blood. They were going to go worship their heavenly father. Notice here, but we, we, the lad and I, we will come back to you. So Abraham reveals his faith. I know what God just told me. I'm going to go offer him. We're going to go to this mountain. I'm going to offer him. He's going to be a burnt offering. He's going to be toast. By the time I'm done, he's going to be toast. But I know that at the, by the time we're done, it's completely consumed. We're going to be worshiping God, and we're going to be coming back to you. How do you reconcile those two things in your head except by faith and not by sight? Because if you lean on your own understanding, that does not make sense to you. But all Abraham knew is that's what God said. Everyone else around you, if he would have got the the opinion party of everybody else, would you imagine what people were saying? happens in your life, doesn't it? When people look at your life and say, Why aren't you doing that? You should be doing that. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you go there? Why didn't you take that go there? That's logic. It's, it's claimed sons. Well, you should have done these things. And it's like, No, God didn't say for me to do it. God didn't want me to do it. Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? You could have had your life set for life, man. You could have had, you could have. I remember even to this day for, for Kathleen and I, when God was transitioning and doing something in our lives, people thought we were crazy getting out of the military. At thirteen years in the military each, we were seven years away from a guaranteed paycheck and health care and ah, blah 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 blah. Leaders telling, "Are you crazy?" You shouldn't get out. You love the military. But God had another plan. We look back now, how many years has it been? Since since 96 when I got out. God has completely taken care of me and my family. We haven't gone without. We're still standing here. He's taking care of us. I don't have a pension. I don't have help. You know, God takes care of you. But when you listen to the the opinions of others, you can get really discouraged. That's why you must seek God in his word and let him speak to you and confirm things in his word. And then it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what the situation's at. It doesn't matter what the temperature is outside. God is faithful and he will provide. We worshiped that, did we not? In one of the Psalms. He's our, he's our provider. He's our protector. Do you believe that? But he was coming back, and he knew he would be coming back. He didn't understand how he was going to come back. But he would come back. Hebrews chapter 11, you can write this down and note this, verses 17, 17 through 19. It's a I love it here in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom he whom it was said in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense you know at this point Nowhere that Abraham has seen or knew or anywhere do we see any aspect that God had raised someone from the dead. So it's not like here's Abraham saying, okay, we're going to go up there. I'm going to sacrifice him just like God said. He's going to be burnt. But God is going to bring him back to life just like A, B, or C examples. No, he didn't have any of those examples. All he knew is that God was somehow, way, is going to br- keep this, this lad alive so that he would fulfill his promise that was given to him earlier. But he had to trust God. Because he certainly could not see it or think it through and logically in any form or fashion how that was going to all play out. Other than God said So Abraham in verse 6 took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and and the two of them went together. A key words right there. He, they went together. This lad wasn't lingering behind going. Dad, I don't know why you're rushing to the top of the mountain. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're putting all this wood on my back. We've got two servants here. Why can't they carry the wood? You don't see any of that. All you see is a son trusting his father because he knew he was a godly father. And that he was just going to be obedient to what the father asked him to do as his son. And he put on that wood. He walked together with his father to go, and he didn't know what was happening. He didn't know what was going on. But you see that they, two of them walked, that two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offerings? So that tells you Isaac didn't know what the plan is. The dad didn't say, "Oh, Isaac, we're going on a little trip. It's going to take us about three days. When we get to the mountaintop experience, you're going to die. I'm going to. I'm going to. I, my knife is for you. The wood is for you." He didn't tell any of the details to the son. So here's, like any very intelligent young man, a son of a father. Uh, Dad, do you recognize we don't have everything for what you said we're going to go do? We said we're going to go up there and worship, but we need a sacrifice. That means we have to have a lamb, and I don't see a lamb. So a good son at least speaks up and says, Dad, I don't see everything, that we need to worship God properly. That means the father taught the son well and how to worship God. And so what was his response? Abraham said in verse 8, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. <laughs> you can see them; They're starting to walk. And Isaac's sitting here going, hmm, there's the, I see the knife, I see the fire, I see the wood. No lamb. Dead. where's the lamb? I love the way Abraham responds because even in the language there, many in, maybe your version says this, but it says, my son, God will provide himself the lamb. God's going to do it. Do you see Isaac saying, really? Are you crazy? I mean, this, they'll be foolish because we're going to go all the way up there and not going to have a lamb and we're going to waste our time. No, you don't see any of that. The son just listened, okay, Dad. And they walked together and they continued up that hill to the exact point where God wanted him to go. Now, when they walk in agreement here. And they're wondering what's going on. We see here in this verse, the word lamb is the very first time you see that word in the scripture. So love is the very first time. Worship is the very first time. And the lamb is the very first time you see it in the scriptures here in this verse. You know, over the years, many have been asking, where's the lamb? Where's the Messiah? Who is the one that's going to be sacrificed for the sin? And you know it. We saw it right here in Isaac. Where's the lamb? Moses asked, where's the lamb? David asked, where's the lamb? Isaiah asked, where is the lamb? Everyone kept asking until you get to the point where, when John the Baptist in John, chapter 1, somewhere in the first 10 verses. I think verse 9. Correct me, you know, check it out if you want to. But first, John 1, what does is, what is John the Baptist say? Behold. Right? Behold, the Lamb of God takes a, who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one. He will be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just like God planned. Isaac is just the picture, precursor of this playing out on the exact same mountain that Jesus would be crucified. See, Abraham knew God had a plan, a plan and a purpose for his son Isaac. He knew that because God said it. God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac. Why? Because God said it. And he could not reconcile the two of them. But he was going to be obedient anyway. Why? Because he knew God personally. And he lived by faith and not by sight. He personally knew. He had a personal relationship with God and he knew God was going to work this out. Somehow, some way. So how does it play out? Verse 9. Then he came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So we see here they came to the exact place that God wanted them to. We see that Abraham, who was the expert Altar builder. He didn't have his son build it. He built the altar. He knew exactly how to build an altar. He'd been doing it all everywhere. God took him and placed him at these new, different places. He built an altar and he worshipped God. He built the altar. He put the wood in order, and then what does he do? Did he wrestle Isaac to the ground to bound to bind him up so he can't be so he could be tied up and he couldn't get loose? No, he bound Isaac but Isaac by faith trusted his father and he willingly allowed him to bound him up. What is going on in Isaac's head right now at this point? Still no lamb, dad. I know, son. Let me have your hands and let me tie you up. And now let me help you up and lay you on this wood for the sacrifice. Do you understand that this boy is far greater in strength than his 100 plus year old dad? He could be about 120, 730 years old right now. Isaac could have said, dad, are you out of your mind? But he trusted in his godly father. He trusted God that this was going to play out. And if this is what God wanted for his life to be sacrificed, then that is what God wants to be done. And so he laid the lad on the altar upon the wood. Does it not remind you of Jesus? you you not remind Jesus in John chapter 10 where he, he talks about that no one takes my life? I lay my life down freely myself. That's what Isaac did. And then we see here in verse 10, then Abraham stretched out his hand. You can see him there. Isaac's laying right there. And he reaches out, stretches out, and he grabs the knife to kill him first. Had to be a sacrifice then turn, turn on the fire to, for the burn off. And he was doing that as he t- reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord. And your Bible should be a capital A. Angel for God himself. The Jesus, The Lord Jesus. Angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. And said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Wait a minute. God knows all things. Didn't God already know that Abraham feared him? Yes, he did. But God brings us through tests to reveal so you know where you are in your, your faith, uh, your life of faith in God. God was revealing to Abraham that not only do you fear God maybe in your mind, but your actions actually line up with that faith that you claim. That your actions actually follow in line with what you tell people. You're not just words. You're not just a hearer of the word. You're actually a doer of the word. That is where we need to be, my brothers and sisters. We cannot just sit here and listen and read. We must do what God calls us to do. You must, it will take a sacrifice. but God will bring you through tests to reveal where your faith is. And may we be, our faith be very deep in him, very, very wide. Not some shallow, narrow faith, but deep. So when God decides to test us, it will reveal that depth of, of faith in him, in him alone. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket of, of in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. <laughs> Can you imagine Isaac? Yes, the ram. I choose the ram too. You know. And Abraham called the name of the place The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So we see here, we we have to trust because there's no only indication that Abraham would have followed through with plunging that knife into the heart of his son. That's how deep his faith was in God. But you know what I find and this story reminds me, that many times God will ask us to do something, a tremendous sacrifice, something very, something you have to really die of self and you really have to take a step of faith to do. And then when it comes time for you to have to do it, He says, "No, you don't have to. I'll, I'll fulfill, fulfill it for you." I'll take care of this. I'll provide a substitute. And it happens many times. God, I don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I don't know how we're going to, that person's so sick, I don't know how he's going to get out of the hospital. And you hear, you say these things, but all of a sudden, you're like, okay, you're going to have to give a kidney. If that's what it takes, I'm going to give my kidney. And all of a sudden, God provides another way, and someone else has already given the kidney. It's an example, but that's what God does sometimes is he'll bring you right to the very edge. And then when you think you're gonna have to be the one that that, that has that sacrifice has to make, God says, No, 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 I have another way. You just didn't see it. And he reveals he's, he's, he's the provider. Jehovah Jireh. Abraham is seeing another name for his God, Jehovah Jirah. God is the provider. And he knows that God came and is the provider for him and for his son. So what happens next? Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven. And said, My, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Because you have done this thing And have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, singular, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. Notice that. Abraham, Isaac's not mentioned here. Abraham returned to his young men. And they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. Beersheba, So we see here that God tested. We see here that God himself, the angel of the Lord, called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And he says... I'm swearing on my own name. I'm, I, by myself I have sworn. I am going based on what I have already said. I said I was going to do this. This is not about everything but me. What I said and is being played out so you understand this, Abraham, that it's on myself. It's my word. It's my reputation. It's my faithfulness. This is what this is all based upon. And because you have done this thing, because you were willing by faith to completely give to all. Blessing I will bless you. And he now reminds Abraham of the covenant and the promise that he had already made. I'm going to multiply you. I, the seed the, the, the seed is going to come through this lineage. And, and, and you're not only going to have this multiplication of descendants. Your, your tribe is going to be so huge. It's going to be more than the stars of the heaven and the sand in which on the seashore. Too numerous to count. But he gave a second, another additional promise. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Not only are you going to have all this huge generation after you, but I'm going to give you the power and then provide you the ability, your descendants, to be able to conquer your enemies in the promised land. Now Isaac's not mentioned. But I believe this is why it's not mentioned. I believe he's there with them. I believe he's coming off the mountain with Abraham. He's coming back to the two. And they went back to Beersheba. He didn't leave him up on the mountaintop by himself. But it's a picture for you and I. To see the fact that. Isaac is not mentioned again until when? He's not mentioned until you see in chapter 24. When he is brought him his bride. Well, that's the same picture that we see with, between the father and the son, is it not? The son goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He's buried for three days. He's raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven. And when does he come back his second coming? When does he come back, I should say? When do we, he reappears? When he comes back for his bride the same picture Jesus comes back for his bride here we see Isaac is not mentioned again until he comes back and he has given him his bride and who's his bride we finish up here in verses 20 through 24 we see Nahor's family lineage here it's interesting it's placed here at the end of 22 but it's a tie in to chapter 23 into 24 and will make sense when we continue through our story here now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also, also has born children to your brother Nahor. Huz, his firstborn. Buzz, his brother. Maybe they're twins. I don't know. Huz and Buzz. Those are nice names to name for your kids if you're going to have any more kids. Uh, Kemuel, the father, Aram. Uh, Chesed, Hazo, uh, Pildash, Jild, uh, Jidlap. Uh, and Beth Bethuel and Bethuel begot Rebekah. Of all this, Rebekah is the word you want to circle, because Rebekah right there is going to be Isaac's wife. There's his bride right there in the lineage. These eight Melchah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, his concubine, whose name was uh, Ruma. Or Ruma also bore Taba, Gaham, Uh, Thehash, and Micah. So we see a lineage of the family here, and it's tucked in here. But really what you need to take note is, is Rebecca, the future bride, the wife of Isaac, that we will see in chapter 24, somewhere in the middle, about verse 15 or so. But we see here, as we continue into chapter 23, the next test will come, and that is the loss of, of uh, Abraham's wife Sarah dies in chapter 23. But let's talk and close here with a few things for your notes. For few note takers. The lessons of faith. True worship of God. If someone is a, a believer who lives by faith and not by sight. You're going to see the fact that there's going to be a faith in their life. That's going to be demonstrated in their actions a faith that obeys. Faith that obeys completely the word of God. God said it. You believe it. And your actions line up with it. If that that doesn't speak to you today, there's one of two reasons. One is you're not a believer. Today's the day of salvation for you. If God has spoken to your heart to give your life to him, he says he wants a personal relationship with you. He's already committed his life. He died on the cross for your sins. Now he's asked if you will believe in him. Turn your life over to him. Repent. Repent. Know that, recognize that you're a sinner and you need to be saved. God had paid the penalty. He was your sacrifice. It's not you on the altar that needs to go on the altar to be sacrificed. God sent his only begotten son to sacrifice for your sins. You and I just have to believe by faith, and you will be set free. You'll be forgiven, saved. But if you are, you are a person of faith, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, and your faith is not one of obedience, God is saying to you today, go deeper. Go go, go deep into his word. Spend time with him like you've never had before in prayer and in his word. Read it. Let him reveal himself to you. And he'll do that through tests. But trust him by faith. You must. And if it's not by faith, or faith that obeys, then the second one is faith that gives. If you have a deep faith with God, it's a faith that gives. You give the best to God. You hold nothing back. You hold nothing back. It's a faith that gives, and you give freely and willingly with a glad heart. Abraham demonstrated he gave his only son. That's commitment to God. And third is faith waits faith that waits on the Lord to provide all one's needs. You're taking the steps, you're, let, you're just being obedient. You're knowing that God's going to do this. You know that you're going to keep giving what God has said to you. Get and you give it. He says to do this, okay, I'll give it. Okay, my time, okay, I'll give it. Money, okay, I'll give it. My energy, yes, I'll give it. And then all of a sudden, he said, I'm going to wait, God, because you're going to provide the needs and I'm just going to I'm just going to faith that waits. Patiently waits. But does that speak of you today? As, as a believer, do you, are you do you have a faith that that obeys, a faith that gives, a faith that waits? Because God doesn't, God, you know, I mean, true worship is costly. True worship is costly. God does not provide until personal sacrifice has been made. Certainly was the case for Israel. When they brought the sacrifices, they had to bring those sacrifices then God's provision, then God's blessing, God's forgiveness came. Because they were to go and give into faith to God who would provide all the needs of each willing worshiper. They had to come. It's a test of faith. It's a test of hope test of love it's all played out in our story today the test of faith was truly one that Abraham knew God could do he heard God's word he obeyed God's word he did it by faith even because he knows God's promises that God revealed to him his word God tested not only his faith, but tested it as of hope, because God gave him a hope. God said, salvation would come through you, through your son, your only son, that's Isaac. So he had that hope he hold on to that God had given him. And then he tested Abraham's love, the test of love. It was Abraham loved his son, but he loved God more than his son. Remember Isaac was a gift from God given to Abraham and Sarah. I find it fascinating when I was as you read and study this chapter. Sarah is not even mentioned in here. God spoke to Abraham, can you imagine he woke up and said, "Hey Sarah, guess what God told me to do?" I'm taking your only son that you were waiting 90 years to have, and you miraculously had, and I'm going to go kill him. I'm going to offer him up, I'm up to God. I'm sacrificing a burnt offering. Can you imagine that conversation happening with Sarah? But we don't have any of those, what happened, or if she even knew, or what took place, or how it played out. God spoke to Abraham and tested him as a leader of his family. You, too, will be tested.